Welcome to an episode of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, brought to you by In the Black Canada and Deep Visions Media. I am your host, Donna Paris, coming to you from Toronto. I normally start the podcast with a land acknowledgement, but I am following the lead of an Indigenous friend who asked me to go beyond a land acknowledgement and instead say what I am going to do now that I am more aware of the plight of Indigenous peoples. In the spirit of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in Canada, I, Donna Paris, solemnly pledge to learn more about Indigenous peoples and issues, to not perpetuate stereotypes in my conversations or observations, to read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada's 94 calls to action, to read the 231 calls for justice in the final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, and to actively encourage ongoing support of National Indigenous Peoples Day every June 21st and National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on September 30th. And you can find this pledge at Indigenous Corporate Training Inc. at www.ict inc.ca. I give gratitude and thanks. I am here today with Evelyn Myrie, who was born in a small town named Martha Bray in Jamaica. Her mom came to Canada under the Foreign Domestic Worker Program and would later send for her children. One had arrived earlier in Canada. Evelyn came to Canada at the age of 15. Her paternal grandmother was born in Costa Rica, but had a Jamaican father. Her grandmother and her mom came to Jamaica when she was a young child. Her maternal grandparents were of South Asian and African heritage. Evelyn founded the Empower Strategy Group in 2011 with the primary goal of providing the expertise that transforms organizations and individuals. Evelyn served as Program Director at Status of Women Canada, was the Executive Director of the Hamilton Centre for Civic Inclusion, Founding Director of the Peel Newcomer Strategy Group, and founded the Reverend John C. Holland Awards to recognize Black achievement in Hamilton. Evelyn has been the recipient of many awards, which includes the Phenomenal Woman, the Queen Elizabeth II Golden and Diamond Jubilee, recipient of the Order of Hamilton, 100 Accomplished Black Canadian Woman Award, just to name a few. Welcome and thank you, Evelyn, for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with me today. Thank you, Donna, for inviting me. I'm honored. I want to hear all about the work that you've been doing for years in and around the Hamilton area. But first, I want to start with your family history. So tell us some more about your ancestors, the maternal connection to Costa Rica, and on your paternal side, the South Asian and African mix. Right. Well, you know, very Caribbean family, uh, as you know, the journey from West Africa to the Caribbean and then the, the melding of cultures. It's very sad, however, in, in many parts of the Caribbean where our family moved from place to place and because of maybe transportation, you know, never reconnect. Your family moved from one parish to the next so you never see them again. Right. Kind of, ever Myrie we go, we're related, but we can never make the connection. We only assume that all the Myries are connected in Jamaica. So if I see a Myrie, I say, hey, cuz. But I am related to a very famous Myrie, by the way, a one called Bujubantan, who happens to be my real bloodline. <laughs> He's a family member. My grandmother was born in Costa Rica. Her mother was a Spanish woman and her father was Jamaican. They married and then moved to Jamaica. So my grandmother was born in Costa Rica and grew up 
as a young woman in Jamaica. Her mother spoke Spanish mostly. I didn't meet her. My mother did. Men in particular worked in Costa Rica and the railroads. There's been a long, strong history of Jamaicans in Costa Rica. In fact, there's a place called Little Jamaica. They even speak the same language, the same food, same behavior as they were living in some parts of Jamaica. So there's been a strong connection there. So my grandmother came from that side. And as you know, the Caribbean history of indentured servitude, where after slavery was abolished, we had many South Asians being brought to the Caribbean as indentured servants. So as you know, being on the island of all these different people, there has been so many mixtures. So my grandfather, us family came from servitude through the uh, indentured servants program, I would say, you know, that's the ancestral uh, landscape mm-hmm. that we know of early. So I don't have the long history of how we got to Jamaica, except, you know, from uh, based on history, but I can't really go much further because of the enslavement of our people and the way our families were separated, you know, and our family lineage were weakened as a result of that. Uh, That still is very traumatizing. You know, 400 years later, we're still trying to resolve that, build that and connect with our families and so forth. We don't even know our names, as you know. Like, I have no idea where Myra comes from. (laughs) There's a British ancestral line there through enslavement, but certainly uh, very interesting uh, history. As you know, all of us uh, have similar patterns of history. So your mom came here before you as a part of the Foreign Domestic Worker Program. What do you know about her experience of coming here? One of the only pathway to immigration or citizenship in Canada was through that program where families were really broken up Mm -hmm. and came to Canada as, you know, the the nanny program, which caused a lot of psychological trauma on families and still has the resultant effect on families today. However, within that construct, he happened to find a kind uh, sponsor because there were stories and I worked in the sector for a while where people were abused in so many ways but she had a kind sponsor who helped her to navigate immigration to uh, bring her children here uh, to Canada just about three or four years after she arrived so certainly pathway for many black women and in fact one of the few openings for immigration to Canada what was it like for you having your mom gone for three, four, five, however many years it was before she could send for you? Our community was small and we grew up in the proverbial village. And I always had strong bonds with my um, grandparents. Mm-hmm. We were, even when my mom was there, we were going from different homes to different homes. Like sometimes I sleep at my grandmother's house, sometimes I sleep at my mom's. So it was like a communal rearing. So when she left, it wasn't as traumatizing for me because I was being reared by a number of persons. Uh, it was a very extended family. My grandmother played a very instrumental part in my life. And when my mom left, she just continued to do that. My mom and my dad, we all live in the same area. So me personally, I know it has had some devastating impact on many uh, families. But for me and my sisters, one of the good things about our journey was that we came together. When you look at it in literature, it tells you that when families are separated and a parent take one child up and then three years later take another child, it creates so much tension mm-hmm. among families and even the sibling rivalry just get enhanced so, so mm-hmm. tremendously. But we came as five of us, uh, six of us came together and it was, we bonded and really built a strong family and strong relationship with my sisters. 
uh, we were all in this together. So that's one of the things that my, my mom didn't think about it, you know, it was a psychological impact. But the result and effect has been very positive for my family because I, we still have a strong bond and connection to each other. In fact, it grew because when we're in Jamaica, my mom had to separate us. Some stayed with my grandmother, some with my aunt. I didn't see all my sisters. But when we came, we all came, gathered us from all the different family members and sent us on Air Canada <laughs> back in 1974. And then we built this great bond and still today have a very healthy relationship with each other. You were about 15 when you came? Yes, at 15 years old, I, I came to Canada. What did you know about Canada before you came? What did you know? I didn't know. Much. You know, I used to read Jihar, the boy's mystery. All of us at school, we used to trading books and reading. So all I know was about apple pie. I wanted to try the apple pie because I've never had apple pie. Somebody's always cooking apple pie in the kitchen, right? In Hardy Boy's mysteries. <laughs> yeah, but not much, honestly. Didn't know much at all. Were you still doing high school once you arrived? Yeah, I, so I came in grade, I uh, was in grade nine in Jamaica and first form, they call it. We're just, I was just moving to second form, I think. And when I came here, I had a Jamaican educational assessor, Mr. Montague from Windsor. Mr. Spurgeon Montague. <laughs> Spurgeon Montague was the one who assessed us and see what class we should be placed in. So he placed me in a grade 10 in the mainstream school system. And the principal thought maybe I should go to the streaming class for some reason or another. But Spurgeon knew that I, you know, I could pull this off. So he put me in regular school. He would not have allowed that. And Kenneth would be so proud of him. I know his son, <laughs> Kenneth. Maybe you know Kenneth Yes, as well. yeah. Yes, we grew up in Windsor. So I know all the family. I loved it because they're a strong Black Canadian family. And Detroit was next door. I was living around Blackness all the time. I remember my friends and family members, would not friends, mainly my mom's friends would come down to Windsor, want to go to the church to go shopping. We got to take them all day to Detroit to get Black pantyhose. Pantyhose of Black people's skin, hair products, <laughs> everything Black. They could they come and spend the weekend just to go shopping. They come <laughs> sleep at our house, go shopping all day, and head back to Toronto on Sunday morning early. It was all about the shopping. So I grew up seeing very prominent Black people around me in the Detroit area, as well as in Windsor, a strong Black Canadian presence. The Chases, so many names, the Talbots. I grew up with mainly Black Canadians. So I'm very familiar with that community and worked very closely with them since high school. Lots of friends. When I came to Hamilton, I meet more, say, people from Caribbean background. There's many in Windsor too, but... Mm -hmm. I went to high school with all Black Canadians, mostly. I didn't miss out at all. Uh, I wasn't isolated. I wasn't the only Black kid in my class. It was really great. I had really still have good uh, connection and friendship to people in Windsor. And so what did you learn about Black Canadian history? Funny, we had a Black history class in high school. Do you remember who was teaching that? It was a white teacher, but, you know, I thought he did a good job. I wasn't into, into racial analysis then, honestly, but <laughs> race analysis. I was just going about my business, getting my work done, participated very well in the school system. We had some really good educational pieces around the, the sandwich area. is very rich in Windsor, mm -hmm. where there's a Black church, there's Black history, Amherstburg Museum, very rich Black history in the Windsor area, and not only the African-Canadians' descendants, but also 
Caribbean immigrants who came and added to that, such as the Daphne Clarks of the world who started the Immigrant Women Center back in the early 80s, uh, when the movement to give voice to immigrant women became a real issue, as you probably are aware, because as um, Sojourner Truth reminds us, you know, ain't I a woman? And racialized women were not necessarily women, they were just othered. So -hmm. there was a movement afoot to center those voices. And so there was people like Akua Benjamin, Jean Augustine, and others who had a big conference held in Toronto. Daphne Clark came from Windsor and she brought me along. She was my mentor. I was this little 18-year-old or whatever, 19-year-old kid from Windsor, maybe 20, just getting into the movement. That's where I started the work because I thought I would leave university and go to work at CBC as a news reporter, you know, and the anchor desk. And Daphne Clark tapped me in my shoulder and said, I want to work for her at the Immigrant Women's Center. I have no idea what they did there, but she gave me my first break. And my first job, funny enough, was to advocate for domestic workers, the rights of domestic workers. That's where my mom came from. So I had no idea about those issues until I started to go deeper when my job was to be an advocate for foreign domestic workers and learning all the things that they were going through. And the fact that these workers came to Canada and then they worked for five years and then they were sent back home to apply to become landed immigrants. So fighting that battle with these women to say, if they spend all this time in Canada, why can't they apply to be Canadian landed immigrants from here? Why are they have to return home? So that battle was finally won by many, many women across the country. Uh, and in Toronto, people like Jackman, who's a lawyer, Kim refers to him at the moment, but she was very instrumental. Lorne Waldman, I remember him, a lawyer, gave a lot of free time to advocate for these women to be able to uh, remain in Canada after they have given so much to raise people's children, and then they uh, end up settling here. So I got right into it, and that's where my activism began, starting to fight for women's equality, starting to fight for uh, the rights of Black people. And Daphne Clark in Windsor and another woman named Cara Libby were my mentors who got me so seeped in this work that it got into my blood and into my veins and the rest is history as they would say <laughs> so Windsor has been very I'm very close to Windsor Windsor is my Canadian home uh-huh. and it took me about 20 odd years to become a Hamiltonian because you just don't come to Hamilton and think you're a Hamiltonian you have to go through <laughs> about 30 20 something years <laughs> and then you get you know that you get the little ticket <laughs> before we talk about you going to Hamilton you said your mom had a good sponsor But did she talk about some of the struggles of some of the other women who came here as foreign domestic workers? She spoke mainly about the people who couldn't get their children. That was the biggest travesty. You had to lie to get to Canada. You say, I have no children. So about Mm -hmm. 99% of the people who came to be foreign domestic workers would say they have, they declare they have no children. And then five years later, going down to immigration to say, I'm sponsoring my kid. And they would go back to the papers and look and say, but you said you had no children. So you lied to get here. So you deserve to be deported. So there was a lot of deportation taking place. So that was very tragic. People had to lie to get here to say they have no children. Then when they got here, to take care of other people's children and try to get their children, they, they would be rejected on the basis they weren't honest with their... That's the only way they can get to Canada, right? To say, mm-hmm. I'm a single person, I have no children. So take me. It's an economic issue, as you know. 
that happened. Too many people got uh, deported as a result of that. And you probably heard other horror stories of, of mistreatment and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. In terms of people working all hours off the night, uh, there's no um, compensation or overtime. There's no such thing. You're always at the beck and call of the, the sponsor. And if you complain, if your sponsor do something wrong, you complain, they go to the immigration and say that they don't want you anymore and you get deported. It was just horrific. You had no rights. And if you leave the job, then you get penalized. The migrant workers of today? Absolutely. 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 But the migrant workers still are fighting to apply for a citizenship or Canadian landed status. Even if they've been here for 10 years, 20 years working, they do not have the right to do that. Whereas domestic workers fought vigorously. A woman, I know she's still around, named Judith Ramirez out of Toronto. She's a Spanish-speaking association there. Very, very actively involved in this issue. Uh, some tremendous women in leadership and pushing the issues forward. Those are the women who really inspired me and still today reflect on them when I have big challenges. You know, what would they do and how, how that work ended up. I think it's important that we know who came before and what they did and what they had to go through so we could have the life that we now have. Exactly. It's very important. We all used to be like the 20 odd year old and yeah, you got to think about these people who came and saw and built on whose shoulders you stand today. That's right. So I become this historian every time I go to a meeting with the next generation. I go, by the way, did you know that? That person or that? Okay, I'm the, the local historian <laughs> in these meetings just to remind people from where we came mm-hmm. and uh, the work of the pioneering woman and the bold woman and men who really uh, clear the path. Still lots to do, of course, but clearing that pathway has been tremendously challenging and they did the best they could and we've seen some changes. Tell me about Hamilton. It has a rich black history and now you're a Hamiltonian. You've been there long. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, there's such a rich history here. One of the local churches and it's part of the on the ground railroad network called Stewart Memorial Church. Okay. And It was established 11 years before the city of Hamilton was incorporated. So it was established in 1835. And the city, I think, was 1841 or something. That certainly is a testament to our presence, Mm -hmm. our enduring presence in the city. Mm -hmm. So that church is a marker, one of the markers of Black endurance, resilience, triumph, struggles in this city. It was a place of, I call it, of prayer and protest. Okay. You know, you go there for for worshiping and then you also go there to organize, to find a safe space, to get the strength to launch into battles, right? That you had to fight to assert your humanity. So the church here has a long, long standing history of activism. And out of, from that church of many activists, uh, individuals who have really fought for, for the rights of Black people in the city. So, for example, the minister, the, the John Holland Awards, you referred to earlier, and I'm one of the founding members, so I'm the co-founder of the John C. Holland Awards. He was a minister at Stewart Memorial Church, John Holland. 1953, he was awarded Citizen of the Year for the city of Hamilton one of the only Black persons at that time to be awarded any kind of acknowledgement as a Black person. So it was even before the civil rights movement. 
So his work was so impactful that he fought for the rights of Black people. He went down to Stelco to fight for white uh, Black people to get jobs at, in these places. He was also a railway reporter. And I think you mentioned railway reporters is something that we can talk about later. But he was one of the railway <laughs> porters in the city and a minister and a great advocate and strong voice for equality and justice around Black issues. And he was awarded Citizen of the Year in 1953. That's why we call, we named the award the John C. Holland Awards. That's been going on for over 20 odd years here in Hamilton. Other very strong people like Paula Brown back in the 1800s, late 1800s, he was a town crier and also a strong advocate for education of Black children. P-A-O-L-O, Paulo Brown. There's a story coming out on him shortly. I think somebody's doing something here locally. There's also a woman named Julia Berry, because we always praise the men, but there's lots of women there. Julia Berry, who ran the toll gate from downtown Hamilton up the mountain. And that's where the book called, that Adrian Shadwell called, uh, The Journey from Toll Gate to Parkway. She was signifying this woman and now we have the Lincoln Alexander Parkway. So we came from lifting the toll gate to now having a freeway named after a black person. We also have in Hamilton a little area called Little Africa where there was a black settlement on the mountain and there's there is a marker there at the Hamilton Public Library on Concession Street to denote that history of black people who were in Hamilton doing all kinds of jobs. Some of them were barbers, taxi drivers, they own their own businesses. But after the wave of Europeans started to come into Canada, into Hamilton, many of them returned home because the jobs that they once had were now given to the uh, Irish, the Scottish, and so forth to so displace them. And they started to see more racism and discrimination started to creep in. So many of them returned to the United States. Would have been some probably who passed. Is there any kind of cemetery there, a Black cemetery of any kind? There is not one in Hamilton. There is one small town outside of Hamilton. There's a little cemetery. I know that the Stuart Moore Church member, Aileen Duncan, is working on something along that line. But there are no Black cemeteries per se. Do you know Elise Harding Davis? Yes, in Windsor. 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 Yes. She does a lot of yes. cemetery work, right? Recover. Yes, yes, yes. She's amazing. Yes, I know her. Historically, as well as contemporarily, people who have come here and added to what work has been done in the past around equity, around anti-racism, the Caribbean immigrants, the African immigrants. For example, Jojo Chinto, he lived in Hamilton uh, as a young person, did a lot of work in terms of addressing the issues of racism using the media as his... Um, platform. They're the Lincolns of the world, and there are people, for example, I'm the president of the Afro-Canadian Caribbean Association, a 40-year-old organization uh, in Hamilton. When the Caribbean immigrants started to settle in Hamilton, they were received well by the church. Stuart Memorial Church, which is a historical Black church, embraced them and, in fact, gave them a space to hold their meetings. And the first president of the Afro-Canadian Caribbean Association was the minister, Robert Foster. I say this to show that there's sometimes a perception that there's a lot of tension. I think it's overplayed. I think that there's great examples that show great leadership mm -hmm. and receptivity from the host, so to speak, right. to the immigrant population. 
for the Black community. In Windsor, the same thing happened. Of course, the as human beings, we're all going to have our own issues. But as a community, the um, immigrants felt welcomed by the Canadians who were here way before them. Well, I'm so uh, glad we, to hear that. We often get pitted against each other. Multi-generational Canadians and immigrants who came for whatever reason and from wherever, could be Guyana, could be the UK, could be from Jamaica, Trinidad, whatever. We often get pitted against each other. And that's right. so sad. I'm so glad to hear that people felt welcome. I think leaders have a great role to play in that. We need to, as leaders, to really address that issue front on and in the way we do our business. How do we engage with? How do we bring the diversity of Black voices to the table? Mm -hmm. Being intentional, being mindful of that, and then taking those steps. For example, this year at the ACCA, we have two African continental, first from African continent on our board. It's not a Caribbean board, it's a board that represents Blackness, and we're working towards that. And those are intentional steps that we're taking to embrace the diversity of the Black community and not look at geographic regions of where the person come from, but right. really look at how can we work together and be unified to address many challenges that we face. As the leader of that organization, I've taken that particular step and said, this is how I want to do business, is to bring diversity of Blackness around the table. It's a work in progress, but we have to be intentional and we have to become ambassadors of those notions and not just simply saying things, but acting on them. And there will be dissenters always, and that's okay, as long as we do not retreat. You started the Empower Strategy Group. Is this part of the work that you do? That's my bread and butter, so to speak. We partner with organizations, governments, and individuals to address the issue of anti-racism, anti-oppression, and to address coloniality. So I do training, and my company does training for companies. We are going and assess them in terms of where they are, benchmarking around EDI work. Who is in leadership? What steps can, should they be taking to address those issues, looking at their policies and procedures? People don't even know I work because I'm always volunteering. <laughs> that's, my, that's my job. <laughs> that's my job. That's why I'm taking time off from today to be on this podcast. Oh. Yeah, that's what I do. The Empower Strategy Group, it was through that group that you worked with the Hamilton Anti-Racism Resource Center? That's correct. So our company got the contract to help to relaunch the Hamilton Anti-Racism Resource Center. And that body is designed to respond to incidents of hate and racism and to really build education, build awareness program to mitigate against hate and anti-Black racism. So it's very new and we're very pleased to, you know, to have partnered with them to have them now launched and mm -hmm. on their own, have an office and staff in place. So that was the work that my company did as a consultant to that bidding process. Fantastic. You mentioned about the Porter. I just recently interviewed Arnold Pinnock, who was yes. one of the co-creators and writer and executive producer on the new CBC series, The Porter. You mentioned some person from the church who was a porter. Well, at the church, you can imagine, most of the men there were porters. People like Ray Lewis, who was, a, was an Olympian, right? He was a porter. Remember, he talks in his book, uh, Rapid Ray, about having to practice along the tracks when he goes to different cities. When they have an overnight stay, he would be running along the train track to practice for his running. So he was also, John C. Holland was a porter. And a number of men from the church and a number of men from the lodge, historical arm in the Black community in Hamilton is the Mount Olive Lodge that everybody's father 
was a member of and those were porters. And what was the name of the lodge? A Mount Olive Lodge. It's one of the oldest Black fraternities in Canada. 1850s, I think it was established. In Hamilton, talking about the history, we have recently elected another Black person to Parliament in the form of Matthew Green. And he also became the first Black city councillor. Before him, though, a woman named Doreen Johnson, who came from Guyana, ran for city council in Hamilton. And then I came to Hamilton and tossed my hat in the ring in 1990-something, 1996, and ran in war for city of Hamilton as well. We are very happy to have Matthew Green elected. Now we moved on to the federal portfolio. You know, people like Matthew was very committed to his community and very passionate and have a good analysis of our community and a good love for our community. It's uh, inspiring to see him on stage there in Ottawa speaking around a variety of issues, but certainly have uh, centralized the issues facing the Black community. Is that one of the ways to go for us to get involved politically? We need to be everywhere in every boardroom, every policy table. It's a shame that we're still celebrating first, right? The first Black person, the first Black West. No, we need to be now uh, celebrating our strengths as opposed to why we're celebrating first. It's not something to be proud of, really. It's something to frown on because you know what? It shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't be so many years later. We're just celebrating the first Black person in whatever job or whatever area. That's something that we have to constantly push for change. I know that Empower is now, as you said, your bread and butter. Is there more politics in your future in terms of running for any kind of office? You never say never. But I also think that there is important work that needs to be done outside. So there need to be people outside pushing for change. And sometimes when you're at the table, you're not, you can't be as strong as you'd like to be. So having that balance right. is important. So I feel very empowered being outside of it and pushing from this angle into it. I enjoy living in our city of Hamilton and I enjoy working with people across the country and across Ontario. And I'm very excited about the next generation, how they are strong and fearless. Mm -hmm. They also challenge us. I welcome those voices. How can we work better together? How do we give base for ancestral voices at the same time being contemporary and driving change is something we have to do better at. So embrace the voices of the past, morphing it into today's language and today's approach, but certainly not ignoring the work and the passion and commitment that our ancestors have made. That's something we need to work better, in my opinion. Fantastic. Before we say goodbye, I want to thank Heather Reynolds for her suggestion that I reach out to you. Heather's website is called Heather's Historicals. It's an amazing treasure trove of resources about Black Canadian history. And she was the one who said, you should talk to Evelyn Myrie. So I'm so glad she told me that. <laughs> it was a pleasure. really was, Don. I appreciate that. And uh, having the time to chat and go back to my memory bank, like, oh my goodness, all the Windsor and so forth. It's a great city. We rub shoulders as younger people growing up with a lot of the old right. Uh, right. Black Canadian families there. Howard McCurdy, very close mm. friend of mine as well, somebody who I admire deeply. And his children are doing phenomenal work too, keeping that message alive around equity. Linda is running for the Liberals. Leslie is doing her plays 
in uh, Harriet Tubman's work. She's been very prolific in that area. So thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this conversation today. You're welcome. Such a pleasure talking with you today. Thanks, Evelyn. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out our website, www.intheblackcanada.ca to listen to Black Canadians from across this country talk about their experiences and those of their ancestors of being Black in Canada. And if you have a story to tell, contact us through the website or at intheblackcanada at gmail.com. You can catch more episodes of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, wherever you get your podcasts.